Hope City Church, how we doing? Doing good today. My name is Jason. I'm the pastor here at the church and uh, just excited we get to be together. Glad you're here. I think, I think church matters. I think places matter. And, uh, and so I just think life is better when you're connected to a church. I don't know everybody agrees with that and that's okay. Everybody has the right to be wrong. So I'm... Uh, <laughs> I just think it matters. And so that, that includes people who are here in the room, but that also includes everybody who's watching online. So many of you, uh, so many of you are. And so whatever the reason, whether it's because that's where you are now in the season of life, whether it's because you're sick or whether it's because you feel a little unsafe being in gathering spaces, any of those reasons sound good to me. Just the fact that you are with us uh, is, is awesome. So thank you. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'd love to get a chance to do that or someone on our team. Uh, we, we'd love to do that. Um, if you're a guest, you know, we're, we're just glad that you're here. We say all the time that, that church is not a service. Church is a family. And so we have services. We love our services, but church is a family. And so we want you to connect. We want you to belong. We want you to be a part of the family, and, uh, and so we hope that we can help you do that. We're going to jump into the message in just a second, but before we do that, I want to make sure you know about two things coming up. Uh, I know that life is not back to normal totally yet, um, and who knows what's going to happen this winter, but as far as church goes, we are trying to be as quote-unquote normal as possible uh, with our calendar and schedule and, and everything that we're trying to provide for you and that we're trying to do together. And so two things coming up that are a part of our rather, uh, regular rhythm as a church is our uh, baptism Sunday and child dedication Sunday. And so I want to make sure you know about that. November 22nd is baptism Sunday. Um, and if you would like to be baptized, like to even just find out more information about that, you can uh, do that on the app. Just pull up the Hope City Church app. You can find the information there. Talk to one of our volunteers, leaders, one of our staff members. If you have questions, I'd love to help you with that too. Um, but we're going to be baptizing on that day. And then also child dedication. Uh, if you have a, a recently born child, I would say a new child, but that sounded weird, but you know what I mean. Uh, or maybe you just come to the faith and you have some, some young kids in your family and you would like to dedicate them to the Lord. We actually have a great resource that our team has put together that explains what that means and what it doesn't mean. Because uh, sometimes, depending on what faith you come from or belief track you come from, how you were raised, child dedication can can be can can it can be differently defined, and so we want to define that for you. But we would love to dedicate your child on that day. So just wanted you to know those are coming. Use the app and get the information you need. Get signed up for that, and uh, and we'll we'll take it from there. Okay. Now, last week, we started a, a series of messages called Living on Empty, where we're taking a few weeks to talk about how to refill your soul when life is overwhelming. Has ever, anybody felt like life has been overwhelming lately? Let me see your hand if life has felt overwhelming. For those of you without your hand raised, I'm going to go sit down. I'd like for each of you to come up here and just take a couple of minutes to explain to us how life has not been overwhelming. You've either been in a coma or... You just got something awesome going on. Um, just kidding around with you a little bit. But regardless of how you manage uh, pressure-packed, stressful situations, I think we can all admit that life has been a little crazy, a little overwhelming. And so last week, we talked about how we're weaker than we think we are, but prayer will help us more than we think it will. 
And we're weaker than we think we are, but prayer will help us more than we think it will. And today I want to continue that idea a little bit and talk about prayer some more. And specifically, I want to talk about prayer when it comes to stress and fear. Stress and and fear. But before I do that, I do want to give you a heads up that next week, next week, I'm going to be preaching a message specifically about depression and mental illness. And um, unfortunately, that's not something that the church has done a great job talking about, but it's something that impacts so many lives Um, And so I want us to talk about it, see what the Bible has to say about it. And so if that's you or that's someone that you love or you know someone that needs to hear a message about how the hope of Jesus affects the anxiety and depression and mental illness that we we struggle with, I'd love to invite you to be a part of that service next week. Maybe invite somebody over to your house if you're watching online. I don't know how you want to set up that invite. Like, hey, I think you're mentally ill. Why don't you come to church with me? That may not be the best route to go. But if you know somebody that you love, I'm, I'm, I would be willing to bet you've already been having conversations about it. And you can just say, hey, my pastor said he's going to be talking about it. And so I'd love for you to come to come with me. It's going to be a good time. Okay. So today let's talk about peace. Specifically, how can we find peace and how can we feel peace when life feels stressful and scary? When life feels stressful and scary, how can we find peace? I was talking to a friend of mine recently who had tested positive for COVID. And, uh, and he said to me, he said, you know, the worst part is, is, the, is, the, is how scared I feel that I'm going to hurt someone else. He said, I'm feeling okay. But he said, it's, it's the fear that I have about what I might do to someone else. I've got friends who are police officers and they say, hey, I'm trying to do the best that I can. But I, I've never felt more fear on the job. I have friends who are uh, minorities and they say, I don't want to be angry, but I'm feeling more fear right now than I've ever felt before. I have Christian friends who are very politically opinionated, who are terrified of the future of the country. And in all of these instances, just this feeling of being overcome by fear, just feeling so much fear. Um, But the Bible has a lot to say about it. The Bible has a lot to say about fear. And you, you probably won't be surprised to find out that the Bible is not a huge fan of fear. Fear is a real thing. Fear is something that we all deal with. The answer to fear is not denial. So what we're not going to find today is the Bible says, you know what? The best way to not be afraid is to lie to yourself about what you're facing. That's not what the Bible is going to say. But the Bible does give us answers and solutions, um, spiritual medications, if you will, for, um, for fear. Now, I'll admit that, that we often look back on the past and only remember the good times. That's true for, for all of us. Our memories are better than than what it really was. But doesn't it seem as if life was more peaceful in the past? Isn't that true? I don't mean to sound like an old man up here, but it does feel like that life was more peaceful in the past. And the music was better, but that's a different sermon, okay? (laughs) But it just, it does. It feels like life was a little more peaceful. And it feels like life keeps speeding up, right? 
more demands on our time, more fires to put out, more problems to fix. More people seem burnt out, angry, or depressed than ever before. Technology's really doing something to our brains. And what's crazy is we were, we were promised that technology would make life better and make life easier. But I don't know about you, but it feels like in a lot of ways, technology is making my life more complicated and, and making, me, making it harder for me to actually be free and break away. We are an emotionally bankrupt society that lives on the brink of burnout and crashing. Stats say as many as 43% of Americans take some form of mood-altering medication regularly. I've shared that stat with you before. 40 million people will experience some form of impairment because of an anxiety disorder this year. And that was before COVID, by the way. So I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm desperate to have the kind of peace that only the Holy Spirit can give me. Anybody else? Man, I want that kind, a kind of peace that only comes from the Holy Spirit. And I think when you're talking about peace, I think there are what I would define. I'm, I'm kind of making these up. This is not like, you know, theologically or historically. I'm, this is just my opinion. I kind of think of peace in three different levels. Let me kind of explain them to you. The first level of peace is, is just this need to live free from the drama and craziness of life. That's kind of level one. Life's just a little dramatic. It's a little bit crazy. And I don't know about you. Maybe it's just me, but I feel like the people who are always talking about how much they hate drama are always right in the middle of the drama. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The people who, who are never around drama seem to never be around drama. They don't even really have an opinion about drama because they're never around drama. How great would it be to have peace and know that when I wake up tomorrow until I go to bed, I'm not going to be caught up in the middle of stress and drama and conflict. Come on, that sounds good. Level one peace is like putting on some good, like noise-canceling headphones and just being oblivious to a certain extent of, of some of the craziness and drama around you. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, I've read this to you before, I quote it all the time when people ask me for advice. King Solomon, Ecclesiastes 7, 21, 22 says, do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you, for you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. Love that verse. In other words, what he's saying is, if you will stop trying to figure out what everybody thinks about everything, you're going to feel so much better about life. And don't worry about what people say about you because you go home and vent about them too. So just relax. It's great advice. And so one of the best things we could do to have more peace in our life is just stop paying attention to everything else that everyone is saying. But that's, another, that's a different message too. I believe all of us need level one peace. I don't think anybody today is exempt from needing level one peace. You may not necessarily relate to level two and level three, and I'm going to tell you about that. But all of us in the room need level one peace, and we can find it in Jesus, by the way. Not just more efficient life decisions, but we can find it in Jesus. Here's what I believe. I believe that when you put your faith in Jesus, life becomes less dramatic right away. You got to walk out and take some steps, uh, you know, in your life, be obedient to Christ. But I believe that the hope of Jesus eliminates so many of the dramatic, stressful uh, annoying things in life that used to be important, but now that we have found Jesus, they're not as important anymore. I believe that. 
So, so that, that is definitely um, an answer. But the second level of peace goes a little deeper than drama or conflict. I, I consider this more of an anxiety that we have or a concern that we have about the things in our life. This is not kind of that nitpicky surface level drama. This is, this is more of an anxiety. It's more of a concern about the things in our life. You're afraid you're going to run out of money. You're afraid your kids won't get into the right school. You're afraid of getting laid off. We could keep going. You live life assuming and expecting the worst. It's this, this, this low-grade fever of fear that you live with. But God wants to give you peace. And I love the phrase that the Bible uses in Philippians. Uh, we're going to read some from Philippians in just a second, the different verse. But uh, Apostle Paul in Philippians said, fix your thoughts. Fix, fix your thoughts. That's verse 8. On what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Now, he means fix your thoughts as in set them. Like, Fix your, like when you would fix your eyes. Like he, he's talking about focus. You could replace the word fix with focus. So that's what he literally meant. But I just like the idea too of like fixing your thoughts, like a mechanic fixing them. That's not what he meant. But like, you know how you have to pull your car into the garage, the mechanic's garage sometimes and there's trouble and it's got to be fixed. I think our brain's messed up a lot of times and they, it needs to be fixed. You know, it just needs to be fixed. Our, the dashboard of our mind is flashing some warning signs and we need a maintenance update and a check on our brain. And so, yes, he means focus, but I like the idea too. Sometimes I just say to God, I need you to fix my brain, fix my thoughts, because sometimes it feels broken. So that second level is kind of an anxiety, a fear that settles in on our life. But I would say the third level of peace is, this, is um, it goes to the deepest part of our souls. And this is the kind of peace needed to overcome depression, such extreme anxiety and fear that we find it hard to live life because we cannot get out of our own mind. We're going to talk about this a lot more next week, but I believe with all of my heart that God wants to heal us of, of what are some sicknesses in our mind. Not all struggles mentally are sicknesses. I don't mean that or that, that God heals them and takes them away, but I do believe that for some of us in the room, that, that we need healing in our hearts and in our minds because we are paralyzed, paralyzed by fear and anxiety. And that God wants you to have a peace that, that um, is protected from, 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 the, from the lies of Satan that confuse and debilitate you. And listen, while there's help out there that we can find and it makes things better, I honestly believe that at the deepest level of our soul, we'll never have the peace we so desperately want outside of Jesus. I believe that. Culture will say to you, you know what? You just need more time off. You need a good hobby. And I'm for more time off and hobbies. You need a good counselor. I'm for counseling. You need a good medication. There are lots of times I'm for good medication. But nothing will bring peace to your life like Jesus Christ. And so if you're here today and you would say, man, I'm dealing with some debilitating anxiety and fear. Before we look to any other solution from culture, which is good and it's from God. I would say, is it possible that 
the reason there's so much debilitating fear and anxiety in your life is because you're looking to something else other than Jesus as the savior of your life. You're putting your hope and your trust and your weight in something other than Jesus. That would be where I would challenge you. And so we, we read it last week. We're going to read it for the next couple of weeks. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me first. Don't come to me last. Come to me first, and I'm going to give you rest. And so what I want to do for the time that we have left is I want to look at two different scriptures today. We're just going to look at two, two um, sections of the Bible that I believe help us uh, find peace, give us answers for peace. And the first place we're going to look is Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, if you want to find that on your phone or your, your Bible, whatever you brought with you. But Philippians chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 6 and 7. And this is what the Apostle Paul said. Well, you know what? Let, let's read the second half of it first. I wasn't going to do this. Sorry for the people controlling the screen here. Look at that second half of verse 6. I have it circled in my Bible. That's what got my attention. He says, then, everybody say then. He says, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything you can understand, and his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So we're going to read about what comes before the then in just a second, but that's a pretty amazing promise. There's something, he's going to tell us what it is, but there's something that he's going to tell us, and then, after what he's going to tell us, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace guards our hearts and minds as we live in Christ Jesus. So let's look at what is before the then. Verse 6, very beginning, he says, don't worry about anything. Isn't that so annoying when the Bible says stuff like that? It's like, well, thank, I needed some advice, Jason. Thank you. That's your advice? Just don't worry about anything? That makes me worry. Not wor- trying to not worry about anything makes me worry more. Have you ever been around people who don't worry? They're so, they make me nervous. You know what I mean? But that's not exactly what he means. Let's keep going. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Paul is doing a lot more than telling us just not to worry. Because that's what people, you know, sometimes people say, like, their their helpful advice is, you know what, just don't worry about it. And you're like, if I could not worry about it, I wouldn't be worrying about it. But I'm worrying about it. Paul is saying a lot more than just don't worry about it. Paul gives us this little, I mean, it's so short, you kind of read right past it. But Paul gives us this little three-step formula, if you will, for prayer. I mean, it's just so quick. But in this, in this short little verse, he gives us three instructions, a roadmap for, for prayer. Look at what he says. He says, number one, pray about everything. Number two, tell God what you need. And number three, thank him for all that he has done. If we restructured our prayer life just around those three little statements right there, that would change the game. Pray about everything. Well, what am I allowed to pray about? Everything. Just pray about it. What can I talk? Can I talk to God about that? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. He says, pray about everything. As you're praying, tell God what you need. We talked about this last week. Don't be afraid. Yes, I know 
pastors and preachers have preached against the idea that prayer shouldn't just be a request. And that's, I get that. But you get to make requests too. Tell God what you need. And then gratitude. Thank him for what he has done. So I would paraphrase it like this. Pray until you stop worrying. However long that takes. Just pray until you stop worrying. And then once you start worrying again, start praying again. And so if I'm worrying, I need to be praying. And I'm going to pray until I stop worrying. And so I, I told you last week, one of the game changers for my prayer life happened when I started telling God how I was feeling. And I know he knows how I feel. But when I, when I started saying out loud to God, I'm afraid, I'm nervous, I'm worried. It, it really changed, changed the game for me a little bit. And it, it felt like I entered into prayer with... Um, my fears and my worries, and I left prayer with God's, with God's peace. I, I, I left them with God is how it felt like. It felt like I came to God, like he said in Matthew eleven twenty, 20, he said, come to me. It felt like I was carrying into my prayer time fears and anxieties and nervousness. And, and when I got done praying, I left them there with God and I walked away. That's what it felt like or feels like. And I think that's what Paul's describing when he says, tell God what you need. God, I'm afraid this isn't going to work. I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job. I need you to give me the faith to move forward, even though I don't know if I can. I need the courage to, to do this. But, but he also mentions one more thing. He says, thank him for all that he has done. So we're praying about everything. We're telling God what we need. But he says, spend time thanking God for what he's done. When's the last time you took the time to just thank God for every good thing that you can think of in your life? I'm being for real. I, I would encourage you at uh, some point this week to take some time to get a piece of paper and, and to write down every good thing you can think of in your life. I'd put P.F. Chang's on the list. That's a good thing. I mean, just every good thing you can think of. Yeah, kids and family and home and money and health. And barbecue sauce, whatever comes to mind, just put it on the list. There's no bad list. I'm being silly, but you understand my point. If you look at your list and you've only got five or six things, you're not thinking big enough. Because I would be willing to bet if you opened up your mind, you could, you could fill up a whole sheet of paper front and back. Because that's how good God is. The Bible says every good gift comes from God. So if it's good, it's God. And write down everything you can think of. And you know what's going to happen when you get done doing that? You're going to feel better. So true. I, I promise you will. You will not get done making that list and feel worse. It's not just the Bible. It's science. I, I discovered uh, this week, I was reading some, some research about this, about how negativity physically destroys your brain. Have you heard this? So research shows that people who routinely experience chronic stress release the hormone, I'm going to butcher this, cortisol, cortisol, which literally eats away like acid at the hippocampus, which is a part of the brain that's very engaged in the visual spatial memory, as well as memory for context and setting. And negative thinking reinforces neural pathways associated with that emotion, eventually making it an automatic reaction. So Paul's given us some 
some spiritual advice, but he's given us some science. And here's how I would paraphrase what I just read to you. The more time you spend expressing gratitude to God, the healthier your brain becomes and the more automatic gratitude becomes in the future. But the more negative you are, the more automatic negativity becomes. It's how you see the world. Gratitude, it it, it sets your brain, it programs your brain to see more things to be grateful for. God made that brain that way. And so if we pray about everything, tell God what we need and thank him for everything that he's already done, then, everybody say then. Then, Paul does not say after a weekend of sweatpants and Netflix, then you will feel God's peace. He doesn't say after brownies and ice cream, come on, Thank you, Jesus. That's on the list, by the way. Brownies and ice cream. He doesn't say after brownies and ice cream, then you will feel the peace of God, the supernatural peace of God. He says after you pray and pray and pray and pray and tell God what you need and thank him for what he's done, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. When life is crazy and everyone around you is freaking out, you can have God's peace. And here's the best part. When someone wants to know, how are you so calm? How are you so peaceful? How are you not freaking out right now? You don't even have to have a great explanation. You used to be like, I don't understand it either. Because Paul said, you won't even understand the level of peace that you have. Jesus, prayer, the Holy Spirit, I don't even totally understand it, to be honest with you. But I know that when I started putting my faith in Jesus, not just for my eternity, but for my everyday life, I started experiencing peace I can't understand. And so if we want to have that peace, prayer has to be as commonplace as checking social media on your phone. And I'm not saying that as like a downgrade on social media. I'm just saying if I were to ask most of us in the room, what is the thing you do the most naturally without thinking, you would say, pull up my phone and check something. It may not be social media, but it's checking something. And in some way, Paul says, that's what I want prayer to feel like. It's just like a, it's just a, I don't have anything to do right now. Pray, talk to God. But I want to show you one more scripture. It's it's by far the most popular story about peace in the Bible. And it involves Jesus in Mark 4. I've shared this with you before. And uh, I think it was was like four or five years ago when I shared this. I want to kind of show you something that that I noticed in this story. So many of you said to me, I never noticed that either. And wow, like that helped me so much. And so knowing that we were talking about peace, I wanted to come back and most of you were not here five years ago. So I wanted to share this with you again. And this this story in Mark chapter four is the story of Jesus calming the storm. Maybe you've read this before. It's in Mark chapter four, verse 35. And um, I heard this story my whole life. You know, if you know me, you know I grew up in church and I'm a preacher's kid. It's not an exaggeration to say that I've probably heard over a hundred sermons on this story. 
choir songs on this story. My mom sang a solo in the choir about this story, the song. I mean, this story was like the go-to growing up. And so I, 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 I know this story. I've read this story. I've heard every possible um, angle on preaching this story. But the beautiful thing about the word of God is it's a living thing. It's a, it's a breathing thing. It's not, a, it's not like Shakespeare. It's not, you know, it's, it is, it's not a normal book. And so we keep going back to the Bible because the living, breathing word of God presents itself in different ways at different times to us. So I'm reading this one day several years ago, and I noticed something I had never noticed before. This is not revolutionary. It's actually very elementary, but I had never noticed it before. I want to read it to you. Mark chapter 4, verse 35, it says, As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross to the other side of the lake. And so they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. And Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. And the disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind, and he said to the waves, Peace, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And the disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the winds and the waves obeyed him. Amazing. Amazing story. But I, my whole life, because maybe it was because of the song my mom sang or, you know, maybe whatever. I always, always that famous statement, peace be still. I always just kind of thought of it as one statement, peace be still. Jesus looked at the winds and the waves, and he said, peace be still. But if you look at it there, it's not one statement, it's two. Look at the punctuation. Jesus declared two things. He declared peace, and then he commanded, be still. And so this is not literally what Jesus was trying to say, but I think there's some spiritual significance for you and me in the idea that peace and being still are two separate things that seem to work together. It would be fair to say, I think, that Jesus could declare peace in our lives, but if we will not be still, we will not be able to experience the peace that he's declared in our lives. Jesus said, in essence, let there be peace. I mean, I think that would be amazing if we could just declare that over our lives, if God would declare that over our lives, let there be peace. And then he commanded, be still. And I just felt like we needed to hear those words again today. Be still. I say those words all the time. I have a four-year-old at my house. (laughs) You know, it really is true. I, I don't know why preachers use their children as illustrations all the time, but it really is true that the way that my boys act, I think, is a lot of the ways I act with God. Just chaos. Just, you know, disobedience, goofy, chaotic, can't sit still, crying one second, laughing the next. Isn't that how we act with God so often? And I just think those words are so powerful. Be still. Because as a culture and a society, we're not good at being still. We, we don't know what to do. We don't even really know what to do with boredom anymore, honestly. 
There's something about stillness. The Bible brings it up over and over again. Psalm 46, David said, be still and know that I'm God. This connection somehow between the revelations that you have about God are connected to your stillness. Exodus, God's talking to Moses and, and, and the army's coming, attacking the children of Israel and they've got a sea on one side and an army attacking them on the other and they don't know what to do and they are freaking out and God said, stand still. Just stand still and watch what I do. That's one of kind of my life themes. I say it a lot, but you know, a lot of times the hardest thing God asks you to do is nothing. Because at least if I'm doing something, I feel like I'm helping God out. But the hardest thing God ever asks us to do is just do nothing. But if I'm doing nothing, God, I feel like nothing's getting done. He's like, I know, but if you'll just be still, if you'll just stand still, just don't do anything. So what, what does that look like? What does stillness look like for me and you? Maybe stillness looks like coming home on Friday and turning off your phone and putting it in the kitchen drawer until Monday morning. Maybe stillness looks like finding 15 minutes each morning before you check your email or text to find a quiet place to spend with God. Maybe stillness is turning off the radio or the music or please dear Jesus, the news. And just, I've seriously been thinking about just taking all the TVs off the wall in January at my house just to, just, just, just for a break. I haven't told you about that yet, babe. We're talking about that. Um, I've just been thinking about it. Like, where, where is the outside noise coming into my head? And a lot of times I'm not even watching it, but I'm picking it up or my, I can't truly rest because my mind is restless because of, so maybe it's just turning off noise. I read a book, um, the TechWise Family, which I would highly recommend by uh, Andy Crouch. And his family started a tradition where they do, um, they do one hour a day as a family with no technology. That includes electricity. They turn off the lights. They turn off everything. One hour a day, no electricity. One day a week, no, no, no electricity. One week a year, no electricity. And uh, he said, just try it. See what happens. Peace. Maybe stillness looks like removing some relationships for your, from your life that are always stirring up conflict and drama. Maybe stillness is saying no to every extracurricular opportunity for your family for like one semester. That's already happened because of COVID, but like probably in 2021, we'll get to start making choices again about extracurricular activities. What if you decided, you know what? No COVID, but same schedule. Pray about everything and be still. Pray about everything and be still. Pray about everything and be still. And Paul says, then you'll experience supernatural peace. So here's how I wrote it down for me, and I'll just give this to you. Maybe you can use what God's challenging me with. Stillness is a choice. Prayer is a gift. Peace is a promise. Stillness is a choice. Prayer is a gift. Peace is a promise. Stillness is a choice. Prayer is a gift. Man, why would we not pray? 
What a gift. What a gift. Peace is a promise. I don't know what you're afraid of or what you're thinking about or what's freaking you out right now about the future, but peace is a promise. If our faith and our hope is in Jesus and our, we know that this world is not our home and we know that our God and our Savior want a relationship with us and allow us to talk to them and to... Peace is a promise. So let's get our eyes and our ears and our hearts off of all of these things around us that are draining us. And let's get our eyes and our ears and our hearts back on Jesus so that we can experience the peace, older translations say, that passes all understanding. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that we get the example of Jesus who came into a chaotic world but never lost his focus, never took his eyes off the prize, never got sidetracked from why he came. He came for me. He came for us. He came to die so that we could live. And God, every time I forget that Jesus is the reason that I am alive, I start getting distracted and anxious and fearful. And so God, I pray that you would help me to remember Jesus, to keep my eyes on Jesus, keep my hope in Jesus, keep my trust in Jesus, talk to Jesus. Because God, I need the peace that only you can give. So I pray for every person in the room every person watching online right now, every person listening to this later on, God, if, if, if fear and anxiety, stress feels like it's winning, if it feels like it's overtaking them, God, I pray that we wouldn't look to some other solution before we look to you, that we would come to you, we would talk to you, we would fight for stillness so that we can experience the peace of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.